The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Baseball somehow already through more than a third of its 60-game schedule. The NBA already into the playoffs. Seems like that, that regular season went really fast. NHL's playoffs are well underway. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you are not already a subscriber to The Athletic, for a limited time, you'll receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. What's up, everyone? You are listening to the Crawford Talks, Nastros podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Jake Kaplan, joined, as always, by Mike Meltzer. Mike, how are you today on this fine Thursday morning? Somehow it is already August 20th. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. I took a day off to go to the beach on Wednesday, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It's one of the few places you can go where you can kind of forget for a while there actually is a pandemic going on. I am paying for it because I've got (laughs) sunburn in just random places like my foot. Otherwise, I'm doing pretty well. That's good. I I mean, I assume that you were able to socially distance while you were there. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't close to anybody else. I went with a friend of mine, and we just hung out all day. And I wasn't close to anywhere, anywhere, anybody, and it was outside, well, which thanks, was nice. Thanks for the invite. Maybe next time. Well, next time, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. My, my thought was probably like, if I invite Jake, there's almost no chance he would say yes. <laughs> <laughs> probably fair. Probably fair. At this fair. point. <laughs> um, the Astros baseball team that we talk about on this podcast they are on a winning streak but at the same time a lot has gone on in that winning streak uh even since our last episode it feels like every time recently on on our episodes we have a lot of like new angles and news to dissect and that's not there's no exception this on this episode Jordan Alvarez all of a sudden out for the year he's having surgery next week on his right knee it is was diagnosed as a partially torn patella tendon um, after, what, weeks, months of, of it being no structural damage. Um, kind of sudden. Uh, he only played two games, Friday and Saturday, and went back on the IL. Um, obviously, these knees have bothered him since he was in the minors, but um, I don't think anyone, you know, even a few days ago expected that he'd be out for the year like this already. Yeah, that part was, well, I was kind of wondering, okay, what's going to happen here? Because he was late getting to summer camp. Um, I don't think he even really made it up until when they started the season. And, and then he obviously revealed that he had COVID-19. And I think he, he, he came down with it like two days before summer camp started. The knees seemed to be an issue when he was getting those at-bats in Corpus Christi the last couple of weeks based on Dusty Baker's commentary then it seemed like things had stabilized, or at least he was hitting well enough to be ready. We saw him Friday. We saw him Saturday. But Dusty Baker was talking about his knees on Friday night, even after the game that Jordan hit the home run in against the Seattle when they killed him uh, in the first game of that series. And it looked like going from first to third on a Yuli double on, on Saturday, it looked like you know things weren't great with Jordan's knees. When he went on the IL Monday, I was thinking, okay, what exactly is going to happen here? Because he was just off for 
the offseason, then the pandemic stoppage. Now he's back. Like, what's going to change in 10 days exactly? And now we find out that I guess they found a reason, Jake, that he has been having at least issues in his right knee. So I do view it as, in a way, a silver lining because at least there's like a specific issue they're going into the knee and attempting to fix and get him ready for 2021. I do wonder what exactly happened after 2019 or in spring training because this is not the first time Alvarez has had issues with his knees. Yeah, I I think there's always going to be a degree of mystery to this because... Quite frankly, the Astros have not been forthcoming about his his status uh, as much as you would like. I mean, last year they were able to manage the issue and not and keep him on the field for the most part. You know, he did miss a game here, a game there, but it wasn't as big of an issue because he was DHing and they just basically didn't play him in left field, and that was fine. Um, and that was, I think, going to be the plan coming into last week, uh, was DH only, he'll be fine. And then all of a sudden, apparently after just running in one, one or two games, it's not fine. So, um, still kind of unclear the progression of, of, of how this went. Um, you know, Dusty Baker said that Alvarez's MRI was clean over uh, a few days ago. Um, and then that he was seeking a second opinion. So did he learn about this tear on the second opinion? Did he learn about it on the first opinion? We don't know. Um, and and you you make a good point when you bring up both knees. Um, the left knee was the issue last year, right? That was the one he fouled the ball off of. So yes. um, I, on one hand, yes, it's good that they have some kind of answer for the right knee. But now what about the left knee? And I, I still think there's going to be some unknown um, you know, upon his return last year about, uh, you know, can he stay on the field? Because this durability thing, although he, he was able to stay on the field for the most part in 2019, durability questions have trailed him um, when he was in the minors. Well, it's going to be a big question for, t- for 2021. I assume that if he's going to be healthy, that he's going to produce and he's going to produce like he did in 2019. But it's going to be, no matter what happens the rest of 2020, one of the big questions for the Astros going into next season. That is an absolute question. Nothing's going to change before that that's going to turn that into like a ton of confidence before we see him out there. My former co-host, Seth Payne, he tweeted yesterday after this news came down about Jordan's tear. He actually mentioned there might be a silver lining because, and for those who don't know, Seth uh, played in the NFL for 10 years, 10 in Jacksonville, 10 in Houston. And he said during his NFL career, he had what he thought was chronic tendonitis in his knee for two years. Then he found out it was actually a sizable patellar tendon tear. Then they went and they fixed it and things in his knee uh, got way better. So that made me feel better because... Seth kind of explained that it's not the kind of thing that's always obvious on the first MRI, and it might take a while to figure out, but he got it fixed, and it had great results for him. Obviously, that's no guarantee for Jordan Alvarez, but that's the kind of anecdotal story that made me feel better about this whole situation because it just kind of made, made it make more sense in my mind. What, what if, I don't, I'm putting on you on the spot here, but what, how old was Seth when he had this surgery? What, what part of his career was it? Do you know? 
I don't remember what part of his career. I'm going to just take an educated guess based on the tweet and the timeline that was probably, I'm guessing it would probably be like a couple of years into his career at least, maybe like the midpoint towards the back end um, because I don't think he came into the league having knee issues, so I think they developed over time. So I'm going to guess, I'm just going to take a total guess and say between like years four and year eight. So I think this was a live radio hit, we could have him call in. That's true. So I think uh, he would have been older, I'm guessing, than Jordan having this surgery at what, age 23? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Seth's pro football reference page, and he was his second year where he was 23. So assuming yep. it was after that, he definitely was older than Alvarez. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's concerning that this, a 23-year-old, you know, in his second year, has already had so many knee issues. He's a big guy, obviously, 6'5". Yep. I don't really know exactly how much he weighs. I don't believe the 225 <laughs> figure listed for him. Um, but, yeah, it, it's. I think it's concerning long-term, uh, even though he has figured out what the issue was in the right knee. And, again, it's just kind of weird how it all went down. I, you know, I was definitely not expecting that um, that news on Wednesday that that was it, you know. Um it, it was weird how it came out, too, with Dusty Baker going on, on 790 and then, you know, kind of just slipping it in there that he might be done for the year and then no follow-up <laughs> yeah. question. And that was it for four hours till Dusty Baker did his pregame media session. So, yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. The whole thing is just a little weird. And now it leaves, you know, as I wrote on Wednesday, a gaping hole in the middle of the Astros lineup. Um, you know, they they not only just like his production but like <clears throat> excuse me the, the presence right like that yes. six five left-handed bat who doesn't chase much and just yep. has great plate discipline and prodigious power like you're, you're they're really gonna miss him there's there's you know they're gonna try to replace him but they're not gonna be able to um i think um you know we'll probably talk about like the trade deadline now that you know maybe they have to look for another bat i don't know if one's even out there um you know, and otherwise they can try internal internal options like some of these rookies. Yeah, they're not going to be able to replace Alvarez. I mean, there's no doubt. We talked about this uh, on the Monday episode. And, and as you pointed out, Jake, his presence is something that is unique in this lineup, that when he's in there, it's the combination of just his size, his power, his discipline. They, they don't have anybody who's quite like him. Obviously, other guys in the lineup have power, but I don't think in the same in quite the same way as Jordan Alvarez. The best news for the Astros is... Once Michael Brantley comes back, let's say by this weekend, which sounds like it's a possibility. Saturday sounds like the uh, likely. I mean, at least he's eligible Saturday and he went on the road with the team and they go yep. home Sunday. So they, you would think that at least Saturday or Sunday he'll be back. That makes sense. And so it sounds like based on what Dusty is saying that Brantley wants to play in the field because he doesn't like the DH. Fair enough. So Brantley in left, Springer in center, Reddick in right. And I imagine that, you know, Kyle Tucker is probably going to be the DH most of the time. Not, you know, 100% of the time, maybe not even 90% of the time. But I think that's probably what they're going to roll with. Obviously, you know, Taylor Jones is up. Um, eventually, they'll have Aledmus Diaz. I do think, I know you <laughs> you hate this point, I do think with Tucker that they do have to kind of find out exactly what he is and get as many at-bats as humanly possible. But I think that's what's going what's gonna to happen. Their outfield, once they get Brantley healthy, will be set. And I think it'll be mostly Kyle Tucker DHing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I think it should be Taylor Jones' season, though. 
I think Taylor Jones is really interesting. And I think at the very least against left-handed pitchers, they should give him some some playing time even after Brantley comes back. Um, okay. You know, you could also play Jones at first base and D.H. Gurriel for a half day. You could play um, Jones in left on a day if you wanted to. Okay. He's played some left in the minors and they had him rep there in Corpus Christi lately a little bit. Um, he's athletic for his size. He's He hits the ball really hard. I mean, I think it still remains to be seen if he can hit major league velocity. But, you know, I, I think especially with Yuli Gurriel being a free agent at the end of the year, you got to see a little bit of what Taylor Jones is, just like you have to see a little bit of what Kyle Tucker is. Well, tell me, so how would you do it? Because I went with like a pretty simplified formula, but I'm, I'm, I'm underplaying, you know, hey, you can, even though Brantley's going to play in left, obviously, like, <laughs> you can still DH him sometimes. Right. They can, they can do it with Yuli as, 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 uh, as you mentioned. So they, they can mix and match guys a little bit to get Taylor Jones some at bats if that's what they want to do. Yeah, for sure. Like when, when, when Dusty Baker says Brantley's going to play left field, I mean, he could still DH him once a week if he wants to, yes. if not more. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that they can be a little more flexible with with Jones um, because he has played all over the field. I don't. He's played third base. I don't think you want to play him at third base in a major league game right now. Yeah, uh, I think he'd be one of the tallest third basemen ever. I remember looking that up in spring training, and, and yeah, that would be and, pretty epic. Talking Six, to him seven. about that. <laughs> um, he was like one of the top three or four ever if, if that happens. But yeah, I mean, like I think first base, he's a fine option. Left field, he's a fine option, especially at Minute Maid where there's not as much ground to cover. And DH, he's a fine option. I don't know how many lefties they face coming up, but he mashed lefties in the minors. Um, you know, we've already seen Dusty does not love to play Kyle Tucker against lefties or at least certain lefties. So yep. maybe it turns into like a Tucker... Um, Jones platoon to an extent with Tucker also playing the field here and there. Um, you know, Abraham Toro hasn't played that well. Uh, he might have to play coming up here with, with Alex Bregman's hamstring issue, but um, maybe he factors in sometimes too. I, I, I think um, Aledmus Diaz will factor in when he comes back. Like, yeah, how far, how far away Jake is Aledmus? I think he's more like late August, early September. Um, Okay. I don't think it's like imminent. Like, I don't think it's this road trip, um, but soon-ish. Um, yeah, I, but at the same time, like, he's a right-handed hitter who hits righties better than lefties. So, he's different than Taylor Jones. I think I think they could mix and match and still cobble together decent production if the rookies um, kind of pan out. Yeah, one thing that you wonder about with the whole situation is, okay, it's a shortened season. It's a weird season. I think if we were talking a few weeks ago, some of the storyline might be, well, we don't know if this season is going to come to an end, so wouldn't it make sense for Alvarez to get the surgery anyway? I think the deeper the season goes, then the more that there becomes a lot of pressure on Major League Baseball to finish the season and, you know, knock on wood and everything, things have been going better the yeah. last, you know, couple of days. Uh, so I don't I don't think that how the season finishes from a baseball standpoint really factors in. I think with Alvarez, he's so important to the Astros' long-term future, and it's been such a rocky year for him health-wise that my impression, Jake, is 
once they look at the MRI or the second opinion, whatever exactly happened the last 72 hours, and they discover that tear in the patellar tendon, I think it's basically like, okay, you know, let discretion be the better part of valor. Let's fix this now and get him back as good as possible for 2021. I think that is the that is the safe course of action. Obviously, you can argue he's only the DH. He's only going to be out there for, you know, four or five times in a game. Why not just let him rest it for a couple of weeks or a month, bring him back in late September? But I think given how important he is to their future, it's probably the better idea to just try to fix this right now. Yeah, I get that uh, that side of it too. Um, especially if it, it bothered him after only two games, right? Like exactly uh, as a DH only, like that's pretty concerning. Um, you know, if it had been something he was playing through on Sunday and Monday, but like maybe they were taking him out early or it just wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't look a hundred percent, but looked workable. Then that's different. Um, you know, it makes me wonder how much how much they even really tested him running wise in Corpus Christi before the season because you can't really replicate this st- the the first to third you know full speed um, when you're just doing inter squad games and getting in at bat every inning um, like it's not a great test of, of what it's going to be like in the majors so. Yeah, I think like if if say he had held off and and gone on the DL for two weeks and come, tried to come back and then ended up getting the surgery at the end of the year or later, and then that cuts more into twenty twenty one. I think you know that would have been a worse outcome. So yeah, I yep. you know I, I get I get the stance here. I'm just a little still. I think we all are still a little murky and and confused about um, the last few months and how they got to this point and you know why they couldn't. Uh, discover this earlier, but I'm no medical expert, and maybe maybe we should have had Seth Payne on to talk about it. Maybe maybe that it's a bad job by me. Yeah, uh, what, but where, where, where are you at on that one? That, that that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so I I the one thing to what you were saying that I think about is why couldn't they have discovered this between March and July? And the answer could be a couple of things. One, there's a pandemic going on, so it's, it's obviously not necessarily front of mind. And they, they could have easily thought, well, his knee was barking in spring training. Now they have the pause, and he has a chance to get himself healthy. That, that, that could have been a thought as well. Um, there also is the reality that if things were normal and they were playing 162 games, that this thing would have revealed itself in April or May, and then he would have had the surgery at that point. And that's when they would have discovered uh, the injury. Maybe in a com- in a completely, I guess, ideal world, Jordan had this tear in March. They could have discovered it, had the surgery right then and there, and then maybe there could have been a chance that he comes back at some point this season. But I don't know if that's something that is a realistic possibility because I am not a doctor. Right. And there's also the other scenario where maybe it just happened, right? Maybe it was just maybe. soreness before and, and um, became something more more recently. Um you know, uh, they were they were pretty consistent with the no structural damage. Um, I remember on the first day of camp, uh, James Click was asked about Alvarez's knees, and he I think he said something to the effect of Alvarez was good to go with the knees. Of course, then we found out later Alvarez you know tested positive for COVID and wasn't um, available to play, but. They seemed to think everything was okay for him to at least hit. You know, it never they never gave off the illusion he was going to play left field this year. But um, yeah, I, I I wonder if something changed if if the condition worsened 
uh, we may never know exactly, and, and they may never know exactly, right? If if they discovered it later, um, was it there all along, or, or did it just happen? There's, you know, there's definitely going to be some mystery there. I think as we discuss this going forward, and as we talk about it, you know, once he's ready to come back in, in 2021. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that I wonder: is James Click more open about this at some point when he talks about the talks about it this season? in the offseason, in spring training. Do we find out more about Jordan the next time he talks to reporters, which is probably going to be in, like, January or February? He doesn't reveal then much, that- Jordan. Like, yeah, well, there you even, go. Yeah, even I with mean, all the knee stuff throughout the last year, he's always says, like, he feels good or whatever, right? Like, there's yeah. not... I don't know. I, I think I, I, I really think we may never know the full extent of, of how this, you know, the last six months went down with him. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And real quick, Alex Bregman went down in the game on Wednesday night, uh, hamstring. Uh, we're probably not going to spend too much time on this just because by the time you're listening to this, there's a good chance that we'll know whether this is going to be a couple of days or a couple of weeks. Uh, suffice it to say, concerning, although this is not the kind of thing that I think, you know, should be, this is not going to be, I don't know, like a season ending sort of deal like Jordan. Otherwise, that would be another big headline. But it's it's a blow because he's their best overall hitter and he's been really good for the last couple of weeks yeah he's their best player and and you talk about con- uh, presence in the lineup like he's the guy so mm-hmm. um yeah i think like so i think the concerning thing is that he's had hamstring issues in the past it's really like the one issue injury wise he's he's had crop up time and time again or, or at least here and there um you know not super recently but like i i searched on my 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 twitter name like Alex Bregman right hamstring and you you find uh, a few day-to-day ones where he missed a game or two and had to had to leave a game early and then it was a, a few days and then he was back or, or even less than that in some cases um, and then you find 2016 at the end of his rookie year when he missed a couple weeks for and it's always it's always the right hamstring if, if you look at um, these cases so it's clearly something that he's you know dealt with in the past which on one hand you you know, he probably knows his body well enough to know how bad it is or, or if it's not bad. Um, but it, you're right. It has been in some cases a few days, in some cases a couple of weeks. So we'll have to kind of wait and see. And, um, you know, I'm sure the, the Astros labeled him day to day. So I think that's a good sign because usually yeah. they, they don't. I mean, I guess sometimes they say day to day, like Michael Brantley was day to day and then he was more than that. But usually when they say day to day, they have a feel that it's not like a long term thing. I agree with you. I, I Brian Brogasevic brought up the point on the TV broadcast after Wednesday's game. Maybe the fact that they traveled from Houston to Denver, you're playing a mile up in the air, um, not a lot of rest before that game. Maybe that has something to do with that. I mean, obviously, who the hell knows? Um, but it, it made sense when I was listening to it. <laughs> I like Brian Bogusevich. I think he's, um, or is yeah. it Sevich or Sevich? I don't know. But I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to trust you on it because I would trust you on these sort of don't things. Don't trust me. <laughs> Uh, I think he's good, though. I, I like his analysis. Yeah, I agree. Lance McCullers was on Starkville, a, also a, a uh, an athletic podcast with our friend Jason Stark and Doug Lanville. I encourage you guys to check it out. Uh, this dropped after our Monday episode, which is why we're talking about it now. Lance made a bunch of headlines because they went through a lot of different things. Joe Kelly the sign-stealing scandal. So make sure you check out the full episode. We're going to talk about a a couple of specific clips uh, from Lance, specifically uh, what his thoughts 
have been on the coverage of the sign-stealing scandal. Here is Lance McCullers discussing the story with Astros players getting immunity and how it's been portrayed. The media hasn't portrayed this accurately at all. The players haven't taken the time to try to understand what happened at all. And like I said, they keep saying, like, people keep, like, saying, Joe Kelly served more suspension than the Astros players. Like, bro, we couldn't we couldn't get suspended. It was a rule in the CBA that protected all, all players from all 30 clubs. Like, no one could get suspended. No one could get fined as a player. You saw a manager get fired and a GM get fired. And, you know, like I said, it's never enough. And, and that's just part of the world. It's, it's part of the cancel culture. They would want to see us, you know, hanging from a stake. And maybe they would say that, you know, it, it, it was enough. I have a couple of quick comments, Jake, about what we just heard. One, and Jason clarified this at the start of their podcast, the reason that the Astros players got immunity is not because of a rule in the CBA. It's because baseball at the outset, Major League Baseball, the the league, gave the Astros immunity at the start of the investigation, mm-hmm. as they did with the Red Sox. So just a, a just sort of a brief clarification. Uh, the other part is, listen, I've said this a couple times, but to reiterate this point, I believe the only thing that people really care about nationally is the 2017 World Series. I believe the fact that Rob Manfred did not strip the Astros of the 2017 World Series, which I don't think was ever going to happen, uh, that is really the point of contention. I do not believe that anybody actually cares about these players getting suspensions because I have no idea how you would dole them out. I don't know like on what basis. I don't know how you would proportion them out either like do you do it based on the the data that we saw like how many bangs were on this guy versus that guy do you give you know blanket 10 or 15 game suspensions but I think ultimately it doesn't really matter because in terms of the bloodlust that Lance was talking about what people really care about nationally is the World Series and I do not think they care about the players being suspended for games in 2020. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what people care about. And I agree with you. Like, I don't know how you would do that, especially with so many players scattered on other teams. And you're, you know, you're impacting people who had no idea what was going on. Like, you know, you're going to punish the the Minnesota Twins and the New York Mets. And I don't know who else is on teams that are, you know, what the White Sox. The White Sox. Right? Yeah. I mean, Kygo's a pitcher. But yeah, like. Are you going to just let the like just do hitters? Like, I don't know how that works. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky. Um, I, it bothers me. And I think it bothers a lot of media members when people like lump the media together as one, like, um, yes. you know, cast the wide net of, of the media. Like every reporter is different. Every outlet's different. Everyone does their job differently. Um, if you look at the Astros beat, for example, you know, the athletic, does its job very differently than the Houston Chronicle does its job very differently than MLB.com. Like the three entities that cover the team full time, like, and that's, what's great about it, right? Like you have different viewpoints, different ways of doing things. And it's, it's diverse in terms of the coverage and how you can readers can consume their media. So I I just think like lumping the media in together is not productive ever. Um, But I do agree with that. Like people don't always take the time to to educate themselves on topics. Um, that's evident in every walk of life, right? Like some some people just want to read what they want to care about or what they want to, and they want to believe what they want to believe, right? Like, um, you know, but it has been covered. You know, if you Google Evandrelic Astros Immunity, you can get an explainer on all this stuff and why um, 
the Astros players got immunity and, and the, all the, the ramifications of, of it and, and just like the whole why of why it went down that way. Um, but, but he does make a point that some people just don't take the time to, to, to really understand that stuff. Um, but again, that's, that's life. Like that's going to happen with every day with topics everywhere. Lance also made a point about the investigation that Major League Baseball ran of the Astros and how it was apparently different than many people think it was. One of the biggest things that I've continued to see, one of the biggest issues that other players seem to have is this notion that that we or the MOEPA negotiated immunity for the players in that instant moment and that we all just like rolled. And like that's not the case at all. These players have no idea what this investigation was like. They have no idea the lengths that the MLB went to beyond speaking to players. Actually, I, I, speaking to players was probably the least the least part of their whole investigation. Uh, I can't really go into it because I don't know how much I am or I'm not allowed to say, but I'll say mm-hmm. that the, the people, the notion that, oh, players negotiated immunity, players then were interviewed and rolled on everyone just to save themselves isn't the case. And that's as much as I can say, that's not what happened. That's not how this went down. If that's what people are upset about, then I guess, I guess we can all move on because that's, that's not how it happened. Okay, so Lance talked sort of cryptically about the investigation and the lengths baseball went to. I don't know what that means. I mean, I don't know exactly what they did. I'm sure they went through video evidence and I don't know what else exactly they did or could have specifically done. Um, so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what to, what, what to make of that I th- part. I of think it. his, that was my impression and I could be completely wrong as I am sometimes um, is that, was a reaction to Joe Kelly's kind of um, point about um, the Astros players rolling on Alex Cora, basically, right? Because, I mean, that yes. was if you listen to Joe Kelly on Ross Stripling's podcast, that seems to be why he's the most upset is because his friend Alex Cora got suspended or lost yes. his job or whatever, or both. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that, like both. if you really <laughs> think about it, like if you really listen to it, that's what it sounds like to me. Um, I agree. So, Completely. like, I think that's kind of Lance uh, is response to the whole rolling over on the coach's narrative. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is cryptic. He doesn't really go into detail. So it's hard to know exactly what he means by like the investigation was different than we think. Um, I mean, if we, if we really look, look back, like we did know a lot of the details from Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick's reporting before the investigation finished, um, you know, just from their stories before it even started really like the the stories that sparked the investigation. Like, so um, I guess maybe you could say that the MLB didn't learn a ton, ton from their investigation that we didn't know beforehand. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to know without like MLB's report doesn't say how they learned certain things, who they got it from in their interviews. And obviously in that comment there, McCullers doesn't um, go into detail about like what he means by that. Yeah, I don't really, uh, where I agree with Lance is I don't really understand. Joe Kelly's big point seems to be that the Astros players were snitches. And I'm sitting here thinking, and, and Lance made this point, like once the original story in the, in the Athletic ca- uh, came out, right. obviously baseball wasn't going to just like, you know, issue suspensions and punishments just based on that story. They have to go through a formal investigation. But like, I mean, 
Evan and Ken had Mike Fires on the record. What are the players going to go and say? Yeah, Mike Fires, Mike Fires is lying about something that he has literally no incentive to lie about. I mean, how the hell is that going to play out? So Joe Kelly's specific point was kind of bizarre. Um, if, if Joe Kelly wants to say, hey, no Astros players gone out there and said, I feel bad that we cost A.J. Hinch and Jeff Luno their jobs. I think there actually is a point to be made on that one. But I thought Joe Kelly's specific point was just a, was a very <laughs> was a very strange one, personally. Yeah, I it was a little different <laughs> for sure. I it was definitely different. I, yeah, I, and I, I don't know how many of our listeners went actually listened to it. Uh, it was an interesting interview, I thought. But um, on on a teammate's podcast too, which is you know that's a very yes. 2020, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's the whole thing's weird that it it's like came, it's at the forefront again. Although I'm not sure how at the forefront it was. It didn't seem like this was a huge topic this week, but um yeah, I, I don't know. Like I I hope we learn more about what Lance was alluding to there that he said he couldn't talk about in the future. I don't know if we will or if it'll matter or change anyone's opinions one way or the other, but you're right. Like if you look back at the November story by ken and evan like that was that was kind of it right like there there yes. wasn't there was more to it that we learned like little details here and there but it you know they got the story one more real quick from lance on what joe kelly should have done instead of throwing behind alex bregman a couple weeks ago i guarantee you if he would have hit bregman on a 00 or 10 heater in the butt and bregman would have jogged to first none of this there wouldn't be a problem i, I think that people are going to feel how they want to feel. I mean, Joe wasn't on that team. Joe was actually on a different team that was also investigated for the same thing. And, uh, you know, their analytics guys were penalized and he was on that team. So it's not my baseball got it right. I don't know. You know, I know that a, I know that a manager got fired. I know that a GM got fired. And, I, I'm, you know, if, if people are, are still, uh, you know, it's not it's never going to be good enough the whole franchise could be dismantled and it, it wouldn't be good enough. My reaction to that comment was, uh, A, he obviously thinks that Kelly went about it the wrong way, the way that he did it, which, thinking about my own opinions on this, the, the next morning I was kind of thinking, like, did Joe Kelly actually throw up Bregman? I wasn't sure based on how wild he was that inning, uh, but I, I think in hindsight I was wrong about thinking that way. It, it seemed like he was going after Bregman, and that is not the right way if you want to dole out you know, vigilante justice, even though... I, I just get worried in baseball based on these things being like, you know, heat seeking missiles, yeah, even it's if it's, you know, man. a changeup. Um, the other quick takeaway I had from that is I believe reading between the lines, Lance McCullers and probably a lot of other people on the Astros who are on the 2017 think that a lot of teams in baseball and the Red Sox were doing the exact same thing. Uh, the problem is they have not really come with receipts to establish that. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, I that I think that's what they believe that a lot of other teams were doing similar things, but they haven't really made specific, detailed accusations saying that. And that's kind of what got them into the mess in the first place, right? Like they talk. Yeah, yeah. It seems I, yeah, like they fair. talked themselves into that narrative, whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I don't like um, the whole. Even like before this year, like the act of throwing at hitters is so stupid. Like, I just never understood it. I still don't understand it. I'm happy that MLB is like, seems like it agrees and, and is trying to get it out of the game by, you know, addressing it quickly after it happens. Like we, this is going to be a, a little bit of a segue to our next topic, but the, 
the Rangers pitcher got suspended the next day after the Fernando Tatis or, or Manny Machado thing the other day when he threw behind Machado after that Tatis grand slam. Like MLB is clearly taking measures to um, discourage throwing it at hitters, um, which is good. I mean, I, I just throwing a projectile really hard at someone um, is just so tired. Like, I just don't get it. Yeah, I I agree with you. My philosophy is like I the the older I get, the more I feel like the vigilante justice isn't right. But then if I sort of like that, that's box one and box two is if it's going to happen, what is quote unquote the right way to get it done? Um, So I can see and just like having had a chance to like interview Lance a, a lot the last couple of years, like I think he's probably more in that in that old school of thought, but he's also the kind of guy who's like, Hey, if you're going to do that, like just hit a guy, just hit a guy in the butt, hit him in the thigh and then move on. Like you don't throw anybody who's watched any major league baseball knows you do not throw behind a guy's head. Like you do not throw behind a guy. So I, I can see the specific point that he is making, but even that, jo- yeah, but even ahead. throwing at a guy's butt, like you don't know for sure that your command's going to be perfect. You might miss up. I agree. Like, yes, I agree. The whole thing is just should go away. We'll be right back to the Crawford Talks after this quick break. Fernando Tatis. <laughs> so I went to bed on Monday seeing this controversy where Tatis hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch with uh, the Padres up big against Texas. They were up 10-3 to uh, in the top of the eighth inning. And I thought that the controversy was over some kind of celebration or something. Then I wake up the next morning, Jake, and I see, oh, no, actually, the controversy is over him swinging at a 3-0 pitch. It wasn't a celebration. It wasn't like a let the young guys play. It was we are now shaming Fernando Tatis Jr. for literally doing his job. This is the dumbest story in sports this week, wasn't it? Like, I yeah, the unwritten rules stuff, like, there's a reason they're not written, I guess. It's stupid, like. Just play baseball. Like, I, I I don't understand it. And I don't... A lot of the internet takes were awful. And it's... Like, just... This guy is, like, one of the best players in baseball. I'm excited to watch him this weekend when the Astros and Padres play because I haven't seen Tatis play live all that much. Um, he's literally one of the top five players in baseball right now. Maybe the best this season. Um, and, like... I don't, the whole thing... The whole... The fact that his own manager, like... Didn't didn't back him. <laughs> that was probably the part that made me the angriest. Like, yeah, and like that manager came from the Rangers. He's friends with all the Rangers people. Like, I I just didn't sit right. Like, you got to back your player, especially if it's your star player. You're a rookie manager, and he's gonna be the he's the face of your franchise already. And he's you're gonna presumably be with him for a long time. Like, I just, I just didn't get like the whole oh you can't you can't swing at a three zero pitch just because the, the it's not like no one's never scored seven runs in an inning before. Like, I, and yes. they had two innings to go. Like, it doesn't make any sense. What would you tell Jace Tingler, who's apparently the manager of the Padres, if you were the front office or the owner? I don't know. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I just like the unwritten rules are so tired. Like, I, I get some of them, but like in this case, like the game's not over. Like. Keep I know. I, Jake, here's my thing. There are certain there are many sports that have a clock 
Baseball is not one of them. Tennis is not one of them either. And baseball is a sport where I, I saw the, the ringer story on this, where at the moment that Tatis was up with three runners on uh, bases loaded and they're up by seven. Their, uh, their, <laughs> their win expectancy was 99.6 and that grand slam took it to 99.9. Fair enough. There is no clock in Major League Baseball. Like they need to get eight, they need to get, excuse me, six more outs to win that game. They're on the road, and the Rangers obviously have last licks. Now, most likely, San Diego is going to win that baseball game. That's pretty obvious to say. But in baseball, it's not like, my God, can you believe it? Fernando Tatis Jr. hit a grand slam, and they're up by seven with like eight seconds to go. That that is not a thing in Major League Baseball. Like that that is not a thing. They need to get the outs. The 27 outs are the most important thing in Major League Baseball, which is why this kind of stuff to me is preposterous. I mean, I saw Bob Melvin talk about how he's like an up six after six kind of guy. And I'm and I'm like, what? Like, I, I don't feel confident in these games until they are they're like almost sealed up, like in the ninth inning, basically. Like I like six after six. Like I, I don't know what that's all about. You need to get the 27 outs and Fernando Tatis Jr. is seems like he's going to be a superstar, is a superstar. Let him do what he wants on 3-0 in that spot. Yeah, it's like, I don't know. One of the best things in sports is the ascendant star, in my opinion, and getting to see them break out. And like you're just like telling him not to do that, right? Like, let him go play. Like, even if the game is over, let yeah. him get his stats. Like, players want their stats. Like, go go get it. Like, <laughs> that's what we look at. So, like, why not? I don't understand why we have to, like, play the game differently just because one team's better than better better than the other team. Um, I, and, and then throwing, then having the next guy throw behind Machado. It's just, like, such eyewash. Yeah, like, if, if I'm a baseball, a casual baseball fan who has no skin in the game... Uh, watching a Rangers-Padres game, I'm probably watching to see Fernando Tatis hit home runs and not to watch him take 3-0 pitches. And then once it's a 3-1 count, it's okay to swing, right? It's just like, you know, I, I don't get it. What I feel good about, Jake, is... The reaction nationally, minus my friend Christopher Mad Dog Russo, was almost all pro Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, I would say he had like a 98% approval rating. So I do think that baseball, at least the, the coverage and the fans, is changing with the times. I didn't see too many people defending Rangers manager Chris Woodward and what they were saying after the game. Yeah, your boy Russo, man. I don't, I don't know about, about that one. <laughs> uh, he might want to take that one, uh, redo, redo that take, but... I mean, what, what he said, so Mad Dog's take was basically was sort of a second layer. His point was that Jace Tingler, the manager, gave a clear take sign to Tatis. And if you're a young player, or I guess any player, then you should follow the instructions of your manager in that yeah, spot. Yeah, that's almost like a different so, point, right? Like he, he missed yeah. a sign. Like that, yeah. Like I think it's okay that Tingler would like his players to see the signs, like if they give one. But that's like almost a whole different conversation. Like, and if that was what Tingler was upset about, he didn't do a good job articulating it um, that night, at least. But I don't know. I, I, it was an annoying couple of days on the internet, I thought. And um, I didn't need like the reaction of every manager across baseball talking about it. Um, 
especially because yes. they weren't in the situation. Like we don't know what they actually would have done. You know, it's so funny. The, these topics, like while the 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 right opinion or take is so obvious, the, these kind of stories tend to just take off in Major League Baseball. It's like a, any story that like this is an easy story that you can put on first take. You can put on Fox Sports. You can put on anything. And like for some reason, it just carries a lot of uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but like it just whenever this happens, like as a talk show host by trade, I always think even though there's like a clear right avenue, it's still like a really good topic. Like, you know, this is the kind of topic, it, you know, doing this and, and being in sports for, you know, 10 years or whatever and consuming it for far longer. It's always the kind of topic that's going to land with the audience for whatever reason. Yeah, And if you're asked about it a day or two after it happens, like, why would you give the answer that just got criticized? Right. Like, it's an easy like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, I, I don't know. It's just easy to agree with the, the public discourse uh, if you're in that spot. But anyway, I'm excited to watch Fernando Tatis this weekend. The Astros play the Padres at Petco Park. It kind of, his, his kind of uh, rise the last calendar years kind of reminded me a little bit of Carlos Correa in 2015. Um, you know, and you can debate whether Correa, has, you know, how, how the future has gone for him since then. But... Um, you know, I, I don't know. There, I think especially at the shortstop position, like it's always, you know, exciting to see the new guys come up and, and you know, I think shortstop's probably yes. the strongest position in, in baseball right now, right? I mean, like Lindor, hmm. Correa, Story, Seager. Who am I missing? I mean, Tatis, there's Bogarts. There's, I'm missing like 10 great ones. Like there's, um, you know, it's just... Baez, Torres, there's just so many great so, ones right now. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure about Torres at, at shortstop, but you, you, but you, your point is well taken. The other part I did think about: imagine this White Sox team with all these terrific young prospects. If they had hung on to Tatis instead of trading him for James Shields back a couple of years ago, yeah, that's one of the more lopsided trades in recent memory. Um, yes, for sure. Yeah, and that's a. Tough it's gonna one. it's gonna be a good matchup this weekend. Like I mean, like. The Padres are really interesting. They they are kind of 2015 Astros ish, um, and they have a lot of young arms that are really in- interesting and throw hard. And um, you know, I think these players have seen a lot of the younger Astros players have seen a lot of these younger Padres players in the Texas League coming up. And I don't know. I think it's going to be a, a fun weekend series. I agree with you. Uh, this weekend, the Astros have... I mean, their pitching has been just superb the last week. It's just been terrific. But they've got the right guys going. Lance McCullers on Friday and then Zach Greinke on Sunday, which is actually uh, a national TV game, which I i mean, obviously our audience is, is going to watch that game. I thought Greinke was just sensational the other day. He has been a lot of fun to watch the, the, the last couple times out. Jake, real quick, you've written a lot of different things on The Athletic. Alvarez, the scout who found Christian Javier. What should people check out right now? Yeah, I, there is a lot on there. Um, even last week, I think we forgot to mention, I wrote a story. It was a topic we had talked about briefly on the podcast about player development and what um, the Astros are going to do this year for all those like 200 minor leaguers who don't have any, yep. um, who, who aren't on that uh, player pool in Corpus Christi. And so I, I talked to a bunch of them and wrote about like the different creative things they're doing to try to develop this year and improve, even though there's, you know, they're quarantined at home. So check that story out from last week. And then this story this week, uh, yeah, fun story talking to the scout 
um, who's known Christian Javier since he was a little boy and um, just kind of their intertwined paths. They're from the same town and uh, he was the scout. Leo Cadio Guevara was actually the, the person who suggested to Javier's trainer, uh, who happened to be Leo Cadio's trainer when he was a younger player, that Javier should try pitching because he was an outfielder until he was about 16. Mm. So uh, it was a fun story to write. And uh, yeah, he starts Javier's next start is, is Thursday today in a couple hours after we finish recording here. Make sure you check out Jake's work. Also, he has a mailbag that posted Monday with a lot of interesting stories about the Astros presence at the trade deadline in basically a week and also the, the longer term future with free agency this winter and the state of the franchise moving forward as well. He is Jake Kaplan. I'm Mike Meltzer. This has been the latest episode of the Crawford Talks, an Astros podcast brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic.